0: Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Paul, founder and president of Securance Consulting, and they discuss why it's important to invest in training your end users to guard against phishing attacks, and why it can be problematic to have a company's technology function report directly to the finance function. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Are you the founder
1: of your company? I am the founder of Securance. uh, It's uh, March 4th, 2002.
0: Ooh, the day you started staring into the abyss and eating glass, as Elon
1: Musk says. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Working 20 hours a day.
0: So where is it at today? Is, is it at the point where like it's rocking and rolling? Is it scaling? Where are you today with your business?
1: Um, I think we are at a really good place today. I mean, we've got, I've got a really good team, team of consultants, team of administrative and back office staff. And uh, it's pretty much uh, just running itself. Uh, obviously, you know, the guidance and leadership is always going to be there, but we're always just looking for new revenue avenues. Uh, avenues, new opportunities to grow. Uh, recently, we're uh, admitted into the federal 8a program, which is a great program for small businesses. So, uh, yeah, we're still. I'm still nose to the grind, right? I'm, you know, not satisfied with yesterday and, and looking forward to what tomorrow brings.
0: And so, you're primarily security consulting.
1: We 100. Uh, um, you know, I, I like to refer to us as IT risk management, which kind of covers more than just cybersecurity or, you know, security. Um, there's other things associated with IT risk management, but certainly in today's market, the 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 thing that you hear most common is cybersecurity, right, cybersecurity risk and ransomware. And so we have deep expertise in that space. But, you know, we, we work for internal audit departments. We work for IT departments. Those are our main two customers.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. And so when the way I got connected with you is I was asking the team, I was like, hey, do we know anybody that has like security experience that has really cool, maybe attack stories that they're willing to share? And David said, yeah, I know a guy and he connected us. And so I was curious. I know we can like edit stuff or we can use placeholder names, but I was hoping that you could share some of the uh, like attack stories that you've uh, been a part of, like responding to threats.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, certainly. So um, I, I, I obviously have to withhold names, and, and if I slip, you know, that's that's I guess the purpose of an edit. Um, but I can I can share two stories. A few years back, we were engaged by a very large, uh, I think, they're Fortune One Thousand company, to um, attack their organization just as a bad actor would, and so we perform the activity, and our approach is to communicate with our clients. And so we got into their environment through the internet. And uh, at the time we were asking, hey, how far can we go? Um, We were at the point where we were on their HR directories and we had access to everyone's salary compensation. And so uh, immediately the CFO gets on the call and is like, you guys need to stop immediately. You've proven your worth, you've been extremely successful, but we don't want you looking at sensitive information and certainly, you know, attacking the HR directory or attacking, attacking where HR stores all their files is, there's a lot of confidential information there. And so we, we didn't exfiltrate, we didn't take any data out, but we certainly, you know, showed them screen prints that, Hey, you know, who is this person, this is their comp. And so, you know, it was interesting because at the time they were frustrated with us for getting that far but also happy that we got that far and not a bad actor, right? And so um, I guess from our perspective, it was also, it was rewarding because as, a, as an ethical attack organization, right, you know, your, your challenge is to break through whatever security barriers are in place. And so our team was happy that we did that. Unfortunately, that client scaled back our engagement because of our success, Right. And so, you know, it's just one of the types of things that happens. You know, another another interesting story that we had was, um, you know, one of the older ways to breach an organization is through breaching their physical security. Right. It's not just coming in through the Internet, but if I can get in through an open door, or if I can tailgate into an area where I'm not supposed to be, you know, that is also a form of a breach. And certainly, um, you know, if you can get into an area that's a restricted area and then connect to the network. And so we've had a lot of success. In fact, uh, we, were working at, we were working at a uh, electric utility and they had um, some locations that were supposed to be restricted areas. And we, got through those restricted areas, got into a very, very sensitive area and connected our toolbox to their network. They didn't even see us connected to it. And so we started performing our activities. And basically, we could have basically shut down a big portion of that utility, just literally stopped electricity from flowing. We didn't go that far, obviously, because of, you know, we're an ethical group. But certainly that set up various levels of alarms throughout the organization. Uh, and, And, you know, again, I think, you know, one of the reasons I started this company was because I like, what I really enjoy is when a client engages us, we perform an activity, and then they actually take our advice on how to secure themselves.
0: You have clients that you do the activity, you give them the advice and they don't take it?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, Joel, you mentioned that is because uh, because, yes, we have we we try to identify those clients up front and, and not work with them. But sometimes it's very, very challenging because, you know, you have a client engage you and they seem, you know, during the contractual phase that, yes, they want to get this done and they're gung ho and eager to do it. And then when you actually start doing the work, they're like, hey, by the way. We see this as just a check the box item, you know, some state agency or some federal agency requires us to do this. So we're just doing it and we're not really interested in what your findings are or what you can do. Just just be able to say that we did it. And so from my perspective, you know, that's not a client that we want to work for because, you know, security is security and it's a great field. I love it. I'm not going to become a billionaire anytime soon doing this. And so the, the sense of satisfaction that I personally get is when we do the work and a client calls and says, hey, by the way, that was great advice and we've changed this and we've changed that and we feel better and we feel more protected.
0: What would you do if you did become a billionaire doing this?
1: <laughs> That's another <laughs> great question. That's another great question. What would I do if I did become a billionaire? You know, I'm uh I really enjoy what I do. I really enjoy what I do. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. You know, so when you're an entrepreneur, you 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 have a vision, right? And, and you try and execute that vision. And my initial vision was just working with clients. And then of course, you know, as the as the company has grown, you know, I've hired all these people. And and so there's a part of what I do that I just don't like, and that's the people side, you know, the administrative staff. So if I, if I ever became a billionaire, I would try and set myself up in a situation where all I had to do was interact with clients and, you know, resources and marketing and sales, all of that stuff would take care of itself. And I could just, you know, I, 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 before this discussion I'm having with you, I was on a call with a client in California and it just fully engaged me. I mean, I was just fully engaged and entrenched in it. And I love that. And, and people that know me and, and, my peers and, and, and staff, they say, man, you are a totally different person when you're talking to a client about something security than when you're talking to me about hiring a staff, right? And it's just because that's the part of it. That's the part of you know being an entrepreneur that I don't like. So if I ever became a billionaire, I would just try and separate those two. I would still do what I do because I absolutely love it. Interesting thing is that I'm originally from Key West, right? So I'm born and raised in Key West, Florida. How many times have you heard that or met anyone born and raised in Key West, Florida?
0: Well, I mean, my wife and I were born and raised in Sarasota.
1: Key West, Florida. Sarasota, Sarasota, by the way, is just an hour south of where I'm at, right? But Key West yeah. is the like the end point of the, of the country.
0: Yeah. And it's super touristy. So like Sarasota is touristy because of the beaches. So people are always surprised when they're like native. But Key West is like Sarasota on steroids or tourism.
1: Right. Exactly. But Key West wasn't always like that. And I'm not going to give away my age. I'm really old right now. But <laughs> when I was growing up, when I was growing up, man, Key West was nothing like it is today. Anyway, so I'm, I'm originally from Key West, Florida. Long story short is I like to be on the water. I like to fish. I like to just be out on beaches, right? I, I like, I love that beach life. I don't really get to live it that much because I'm traveling about 30, before the pandemic, 30, 40 weeks a year I would travel to clients. Pandemic happened and then, you know, clients all of a sudden was like, well, you can do this work remotely, can't you? It's like, yeah, I was telling you that before, <laughs> but you always wanted me to come on site. Mm. Uh so but now it's starting to get back to where you know it's it's uh clients want you on site again, and that's fine i, I mean I'm just used to it I, I I tell people all the time you know you get in your car, you get up in the morning, have your coffee, jump in your car, and go to work. I get up, have my coffee, jump on a plane, and go to work
0: yeah
1: anyway i think I, I think where I was going with that is that you know i'm 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 a key West and, you know i'm a conk I'm a conk, and so I would also try to do my job from a beach somewhere or from a boat nice. Yeah, that
0: would be nice. A fun fact, I don't think I've in five years, I don't think I've brought this up on the show, but my grandfather's a world champion boat racer. He won the uh world world championship of boat racing in nineteen eighty eight with Don Johnson as his
1: pilot. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's here is here's another interesting thing about that is is I think you're talking um the superboats, the power boats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On that circuit, they came to Key West, and annually, I would go and watch them race.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's what. So he got he came here from Greece and started uh, playing professional soccer. So like America wanted to build a team, I think in Miami or I can't remember the exact place, but it was down there. And so they went to different countries and recruited different players for you know football, right. soccer, right? And so he was a goalie, and then he had an injury, and then in the off season, he had been just working at the docks to just make some extra cash. And then okay. when he had an injury, he just started hanging around the docks more and more and more, and then just started racing and then had a career for like 20, 30 years in boat racing.
1: Oh, nice. What was the name of the boat that he was on?
0: I don't know, but if you want to look him up, his name is, uh, Gus Anastasi. And then he was, there's a, there's a three person crew that he was on right. that, that was driving. Cause like one does steering throttle and navigation. Right. So it was him, Don Johnson and someone
1: else. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you, I probably saw him race because, uh, I left Key West in 1992, 93, but prior to that, I mean, you know, from 70 all the way to 92, I was there and we, we went to the races religiously.
0: Yeah, no, was, and I'm, I was curious, one of the things that I'm thinking of as we're talking is, when we're talking about you being a billionaire and like what you would do, do you think it's possible, and I know it's hard, cause like I'm an entrepreneur as well, but do you think it's possible that you could like hire a president or something at your company to do the things you don't like to do?
1: Um, So I have already transitioned into that Mm -hmm. phase. Um, Jillian, who was on just before, she's our VP. Okay. And she's been with the firm eight, nine years, eight or nine years. And she is starting to take on a lot of those tasks that they have to get done. They're critical to the success of the firm, but they're just not my favorite things to do. So she was just promoted, I think, last year. And I think in another year, 18 months, she'll fully be able to just take on all of those things and then that'll relieve some of my time to doing more client engagement.
0: Yeah. I'm curious to t- sort of get back to the security conversations. You know, we have a lot of people like technology leaders that listen to this show um, everywhere from startup growth, scale up. Uh, what are some of the basic hygiene 101 security things that uh, these technology leaders should be thinking about?
1: Yeah. You know, I think I think um, that's a great question. I, I think you know most people would think a firewall or some basic stuff like that. I, I would disagree. I, I think that probably the first thing that I would certainly share with, with uh, someone uh, that's a technology leader and looking to have some level of security is to train your end users uh, relative to their role in securing the environment and securing the data. Subscribe to some type of end user training so that end users are aware when they're being fished, whether it's a phone phish or SMS message or social media message or an email message. I mean, the truth of the matter is, right, I mean, is phishing is like one of the highest methods and vectors that bad actors uh, infiltrate organizations. And so I think. That's probably like a number one, real close to number one number two things that that starting out, you know you, you you should do is invest in some type of training program. I think also, you probably want to invest in something greater than traditional antivirus software, right? So years ago, antivirus was just antivirus. It was signature based antivirus. It was you know you install it on a work and on an endpoint. And you had some level of protection now that just doesn't do it that just doesn't do it so you really need to invest in some endpoint protection solution um you know the most common are edr's endpoint detection and response solutions uh that you have to put on every workstation on every server and it helps to isolate and contain i think those are probably the top two things and i know you know I, I participate in several forums and, and discussions, and, and, and you're going to get some differences between security experts. As well. You have to have a great firewall and intrusion protection and SOC. I think for someone just starting up, you have some basic one-on-one type security things. Yeah. Give your end users training. Train your end users because everyone is responsible for security of the environment, not just IT. And too often, it's looked at as just an IT thing. I just, while I'm thinking about it, I also think that I'm in the process of, of writing an, an editorial about this is that when I, when I left, when, during my career tenure with Ernst Young and, and certainly for years after, for real startup organizations or, or organizations that are maybe looking to scale up but not yet hit their running speed, they have the IT department report to finance. And I think that that's a big, big mistake. And the reason it is a mistake, in my opinion, is because, and, and I say this with all due respect to CFOs and, and CPAs, I am a CPA myself. In fact, I started when, when I went to college, I went to college to be an accountant. And then I quickly realized I also wanted to do computer science. So I so I, I dual majored in, in accounting and computer science, but I am a CPA. And so with all due respect to that industry and that discipline, is an accountant very rarely understands the value of technology relative to products and services that they can't see and touch. So if if I am in IT and I'm reporting to CFO and I say, hey, I need to go purchase this EDR solution, or I need to go purchase this third party managed security service. Well, the CFO is gonna look at it and say, well, yeah, but that costs X and I don't see a software application, or I don't see how that's helping my end user be more productive today and so oftentimes they will slash that out of the budget it is because security type items security technology security defense measures cost a lot of money but don't have an immediate tangible value to someone that doesn't understand it and what that technology is actually doing it's it's kind of like I, I we just i just worked on deploying a security operations center for for very large uh, municipality and it's hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the, the, one of the executives there looked at it and was like, man, we're spending all this money a year on this one technology, and I don't really see what it's doing. And I'm like, but you don't see what it's doing, but you haven't been a victim of a ransomware attack, have you? No, we haven't. And all of my neighboring municipalities have. Well, that's what it's doing, right? You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. But trust me when I tell you, it's protecting you. And so I think, you know, speaking editorially, is that I think a lot of organizations, you know, maybe you can't afford to hire a CIO, you can't afford to hire a chief information security officer because the price of those keeps going up and up and up. But I just think it's also mis it's it's misaligned. To have your leader in IT, maybe you have an IT director, right? Not a CIO or a CISO, but maybe you have your director report to the CFO. I think that's just a misalignment. And I think it's well worth, well, well worth the investment, even if you just have to go out to market and get a virtual CIO or a virtual CISO that someone that's going to give you 20 hours a month, but can provide strategic information, strategic guidance, and can articulate to the CFO or to the controller or to the chief accounting officer, the value of these services that you don't necessarily see on your workstation, right? You go to your workstation, you don't click an app and see security, but it's behind the scenes. It's working behind the scenes and, and it's doing a great job. I, I I sometimes, Joel, go off on these tangents because I just love this topic. So you have to reel, reel me back in when I'm, when I'm saying too much about something.
0: No, this is a talk show, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> We hang out. I can talk, talk. I can talk forever about this because I, I mean, I live, I live, sleep, dream, eat this stuff.
0: I was surprised to to hear you say that you're still seeing companies have IT report up to CFOs because I thought that was like an old thing that had stopped happening.
1: Yeah, you know, I you you would think that. I mean, it, it's certainly I'm certainly seeing it a lot less than I was let's say five ten certainly ten years ago. But I still see it in pockets, right? I still see it in pockets. And generally, it's the smaller organizations that don't, you know, there are some organizations that just see IT as just, hey, we need PCs. We need PCs. We need someone to give us PCs and manage PCs, right? Those types of organizations that aren't looking strategically at what technology is doing. Right. And, and then and, and then, of course, you know, the next thing, the next misalignment in terms of reporting structure is the chief information security officer reporting up to the CIO. You think about that there, that that is inherently conflicting. Right. The CIO is charged with operations, strategic guidance, getting the technology to support the business strategy. The chief information security officer is charged with protecting the environment. Sometimes those things. But heads. right? Yeah. So the CISO needs to know that he or she can freely speak about the risk that they see and not have to worry that the CIO is going to suppress that risk because it conflicts with an initiative that the CIO office has.
0: Uh, they just need to find a different company. That's a bad culture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, c- I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious when you were talking about you know how to explain it to the CFO a lot of what you're sounding describes like how I would explain an insurance policy right like you don't necessarily see it it's there it's protecting you and then my my other question is like how has insurance like cyber insurance changed um, over the past couple years because I remember five six years ago, I could check a box and get a million dollars, and I didn't have to do anything. And right. now they send you like a questionnaire that's eight hundred questions long to get a fifty thousand dollars policy.
1: <laughs> right. All right. So, so two good questions. One now. So, so you said that what I was explaining in terms of the spend for protection is kind of like an insurance policy, and it is, with the exception that you know, from let's say a CFO's perspective, right. CFO has to have insurance because maybe their customers are requiring that they have insurance. Whereas there's no one really requiring that you invest in this defense mechanisms to protect the environment. So that's one major, major difference. The other question that you brought up is a really hot, interesting concept and topic right now uh, is because cyber insurance, you're exactly correct. Used to be check a box, you get a million dollar policy or whatever you know the uh, limits you need. Now, because there have been so many successful ransomware attacks, I, I'll, I'll share with you a, a project we're just coming out. We led a war room where a big organization was attacked, and we had we spun up a war room to build out their recovery, uh, eradication, containment, recovery. And so the directive that we received from the CIO was, hey. This is critically important to us. We need to recover as timely as possible. Our purse strings are completely open. Whatever the spend is, the spend is. We have X amount of million in cyber coverage to reimburse us. So we just went with that directive, and we got them back up in a week, most of their systems. We got recovered in a week without paying ransom. We didn't pay ransom. We initiated uh, initiated negotiations with the actor, but we ended up not paying. We then had to you know, deal with the application to get reimbursed. And the cyber insurance came back and said, by the way, we're only going to reimburse one-third of what you're requesting because we see these other activities and these other costs as preventative measures as opposed to getting you back to the place where you were at before you were attacked. Now, the interesting thing about that is like, wow, when you think about it, it's like you're still my insurance provider. Why would you only want me to get back to a place where I was successfully attacked just so the attack can happen again. Well, insurance is in there to like take premiums and reduce claims. And so that's their posture. So now what we see is two things happening in the cyber insurance space. One, it's very difficult to now to get cyber insu- security insurance. As you mentioned, the checklist is phenomenal. And not only is it long, is you have to, they're asking you things about how are you protecting your endpoints? What is your end-user security training? You know, what percentage of the users are passing that training? Do you have a SOC in place? You know, all of these questions. and, 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 And they have a direct impact on if you get the insurance levels you want or not. And then the other thing we're seeing is that a lot of insurance providers are fighting claims. And they're putting in these high level of deductibles where they're not going to reimburse, you know, if they think that back to. So it, I, this is this is how it just comes full circle is back to my discussion about, you know, the purse strings at the CFO side being held because IT is wanting these security things that they may not need. Well, now insurance is saying, yeah, but if you don't have those things, not only maybe we won't insure you, but we're going to reduce your reimbursement from a claim. So now that insurance base is just is. Is just crazy in terms of competitiveness and what it what it takes for an organization to get it. Not only that, I can't tell you, probably within the probably within this year, 50% of our clients have said, listen, when we get attacked, because it's a matter of when, not if, when we get attacked, the first call we're gonna make is now to our insurance. Now, as a cybersecurity professional and expert, I'm fighting that. I'm telling these clients, look, I get it. I understand why you want to have your insurance as part of your eradicate, contain, recover. But what I'm what I'm telling you from experience is that might not be the first call you want to make because their response and their agent's response is to minimize the claim and not fully protect you as you should be protected. It's just an interesting space right now.
0: Yeah. So it's better just to have good systems up front and do the best you can there rather than relying on the insurance.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's best to build multiple layers of defense architect, a zero trust network and really rely on your own internal experts have, make sure you have immutable backups. Like do all of these rudimentary things that sometimes quite frankly, just get missed or I don't know. I mean, we're all human beings, right? So we can have a whole list of things that we want to do and, and we know are necessary. I just, some of them just get missed. That's just part of being a human being. Continually check on your environment. Continually check. You know, security as an organization, we do assessments all the time, but we typically would say to a company, don't just rely on security. Go out and get another pair set of eyes, right? And have them look at it and, and, and bounce off of them what we do and bounce off of us what they do. And that's really the best preparation that we recommend to our clients is just, you got to do everything you can to prepare. And even then there's no guarantees.
0: So as we start to like wrap up, I'm curious, like what, what sort of advice would you want to leave with all of these technology leaders in regards to security? Is it get a CISO? Is it, you know, like budget for this type of thing? Like what, what advice do you find yourself giving most common?
1: Yeah, you know, the most common advice, uh, you know, I'm gonna say is is really in three areas. One is define a strategy, right? Define a strategy and there's, there's, you know, ample places you can go online to define a strategy that's applicable to your industry, applicable to your business industry, and also applicable to your organization size. Define a strategy, get in user security training, and then patch your systems, patch your systems, and not just the, the common Microsoft patch. Patch all of your systems, application systems, operating systems, network device, iOS, firmware. Patch them and keep it up to date. Keep it up to date. You know, what I still see in the market is companies and organizations protecting their perimeter i got a firewall in place, i got IDS, and I have some security on my web apps. No one can get in, but I don't care what inside looks like. And that's just the wrong approach because I can get into any organization by, by phishing a user or by tailgating a user or by social media tricking a user. And so now, it, it, years ago, it was just, oh, the perimeter, and now that has still stuck. And now what we're telling our clients is you need to look at your internal network just as you do your perimeter just as you do your permit. When I say get a strategy, you don't necessarily need to have a CISO for a strategy, but you have to have some method to accumulate strategic information relative to protection, IT security protection. And so maybe you get a virtual CISO, or maybe you have someone in the organization that is interested in security that can get some training and kind of bring security into the environment, but you can't just haphazardly do it and you certainly can't, Take the approach that you know, it'll just happen because it never just happens. it has to be strategic, it has to be focused
0: yeah, as you were talking about that lateral movement, you know it's not like people just put a lock on their front door of their office, and then like all the internal doors are unlocked. they have locks on all the doors
1: <laughs> very great, very, very good analogy joel, but you, but uh, uh, but I see that so often I mean you know we're doing. Few hundred assessments a year. Eighty percent of them don't care about the internal network.
0: Yeah. Well. So
1: I would like the industry to shift from. Listen, let's keep that perimeter protected, but now let's shift some of that focus to the internal network.
0: If uh, is that an assessment that's on your website that people can take?
1: Um, we do have a uh, what we refer to as a hard network assessment on our on our website, securance consulting.com/slash hardened network assessment, and it'll give you a snapshot of what your security posture is, not only on your perimeter, but for your entire environment. Now, you know, it's a snapshot, it's I think it's probably twenty or so questions, and it's It sets up a maturity against the NIST framework of security and control. So it's a really best practice framework. And yeah, we don't expect every organization to have all of those things in place, but it gives you a snapshot of what key items are missing because we then also prioritize. We also prioritize and say, okay, these are the top things that you need that you don't have. These are the moderate level things. And for an organization that is highly mature in their cybersecurity posture, here are some things that you can do to add to it.
0: Nice nice. have you ever had to like negotiate with ransomware people?
1: we have we have you know again you know I, I will restrict uh on behalf of who we did that, but we have had that you know in a lot of cases they're looking for some type of you know Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. We have not yet had to be involved in making an exchange
0: okay, cool yeah yeah I've heard some really crazy stories about <laughs> about that and uh it's never fun it's never fun for people
1: (laughs) yeah you know some of our discussions have been really interesting i think more often we get brought in on the back end whether a company has has made an exchange or not or have had negotiations we tend to get brought in on the on the side of either recovery or helping us build uh, a multi-layer security profile
0: nice nice so that's that's where you specialize
1: yeah, yeah. We specialize in the assessment and building uh, the security profiles.
0: Perfect. So if people want to check that out, it's SecuranceConsulting.com.
1: That's right. SecuranceConsulting.com, um, snapshot of all of our services. And certainly we encourage you to, you know, uh, flip a flip a form, a contact us form, and we'll get back to you right away and, and start the discussions, free of charge discussions to do some uh, high-level evaluations.
0: Yep. And it's better now than when the when the fire's burning. <laughs>